Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, January the 27th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we come to the end of year A, the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. So we find ourselves in the gospel of Matthew once more. We're going to start the Sermon on the Mount today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise, meet God together in a time of prayer. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him and he taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are pure, pure pe- people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. This is a word of God for us. So here we start the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the most famous passage, uh, probably in the Gospel of Matthew. And so there's a lot to say here. Uh, first, it does seem like uh, the the Sermon on the Mount was intended towards the disciples of Jesus. So just in the, the scene beforehand, Jesus was doing ministry to masses of people. And then in that first in that first verse, he calls people to himself. And so there's no doubt that some of the, I don't know, people who are just randomly curious, maybe on the margin of curious, could overhear and listen to the sermon. It wasn't like it was exclusive or anything. But Jesus seemed to lay down this this sermon for those who are going to intend on following him. It's important to note that uh, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and one of the key figures of the Old Testament story is Moses. Moses gave a law from a mountain, and so he seems to be giving a callback and echo to Moses' law. The law was not just a list of rules, but it actually like marked out the people. Like If you live this way, you're going to be associated as these people. And so Jesus is not just... Uh, waxing religious here, he's actually giving a way of life, a way for people to live so that they can be uniquely considered and classified as one of his people. Um, there's a good sense, there's a good chance where this wasn't a sermon that he did all at once, but this might have been a collection of his most famous and repeated teachings. So it's worth noting that uh, Luke has a fair bit of the same sermon in the beginning part of his gospel, but it's actually a sermon on the plain, they call it in the academic guild, because he goes to a low and flat place to preach this sermon in Luke, but here in Matthew, he's on a mountain, and um, there's a sense where um, perhaps this was a, a way for Matthew to collect as many of the, uh, the important and the most repeated teachings as possible, and he put it one place. 
the, the Sermon on the Mount seems to have a structure. And um, the way that um, this probably would have been ordered is that Jesus needs a hook. Like he needs to open with a bang. And he needs to give people a reason to listen to him further. It's like any other speech throughout all of history. Um, our brains are working to conserve energy and to look out for solutions for our lives. And so marketers know this. Um, Poetics, an ancient book, uh, describe this as well. That if a, a mind, any human mind, can be convinced that we have something to offer them, they will listen further. If they're not convinced pretty early in our presentation that this is for them, we will tune them out. And our brain sends the body message like, you can tune out now. We only have a certain amount of calories to get us through this day. So let's conserve some of this energy, right? And so what, is, uh, what does Jesus do? Jesus announces good news and happiness upon those who don't, we would not expect to be happy, right? Um, he says, happy are people who are hopeless. Happy are people who grieve. Happy are people who are humble. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So he goes on and forth. People harassed, uh, people who are uh, show mercy, people have pure hearts and they probably um, count the cost and, and uh, pay the cost for having uh, merciful and pure hearts. Uh, people who make peace instead of taking advantage of others. Uh, they probably lose in life instead of gain in life in this particular context, right? So Jesus does something surprising. People wouldn't normally say that those who grieve, those who are poor in spirit, um, that they will be blessed or happy. But Jesus is saying that a time is arriving uh, because the kingdom is drawing near where these types of folks are going to finally enter into a space where they can be uh, uniquely natively, automatically happy because of the ramifications of the kingdom. And so what's the first step in the Sermon on the Mount? The first step in the Sermon on the Mount is that good news is going to be broadcast to the ends of the earth. Since everybody's not in the same place, it will not initially be received the same and equal way. So who will receive it most readily? It'll be those who are poor in spirit. Uh, I love the way that Dallas Willard kind of knocked down this word, maybe to define it in layman's terms for today. He said, you know, the kingdom is for those who are so broken, um, who are so, uh, who go without so much that they can't even help themselves, right? You think about a person who um, they finally get a job, they've been searching for a job, they find a job, but then the company goes under, right? Or um, they've got legal troubles, and so they scrape and save, they sell off their car only to uh, put their trust in a lawyer and to pay a lawyer who doesn't really adequately represent them well. Like these people just can't help themselves. Jesus says, like right out of the chute, like those types of folks will understand the gospel most readily. They will understand its ramification and they will embrace it first. I love the way, I think it was like Drew Dick. He's one, uh, kind of a practical theologian. He says, grace is like water and it pools at the lowest place, right? Um, I think it was B.B. Uh, King who said it this way, that it's hard to sing the blues in the back of a limousine, right? Like you can't get to the soul of that genre of music unless you've been through some stuff, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, this message is going to ring out to everybody. And Matthew displays that. Like this, this gospel spreads. It goes to palaces. It goes to uh, Gentile regions. It goes to messed up people and put together people and people with questions and people with issues and people with demons. Like this gospel is going to go to all sorts of people. But Jesus is giving us a signpost here. He's saying those who are in touch with their brokenness, like they're going to embrace this. And like he's not, and, and that person is not going to use it for their own gain. Like they're just going to embrace it at face value. Um, there's this neat 
story. It's in Christianity Today. It's one of the cover stories a couple months ago at the time of this recording. It's a conversation between Franklin Graham and Bono. And uh, Bono, like, fetched, um, uh, sorry, Franklin Graham fetched Bono one day and they had a quick conversation in the car. And uh, of course, Franklin, Franklin Graham's like grilling him about his faith and spirituality. I mean, Bono um, claims to be Christian, uh, he meditates on the Psalms. Uh, had a close relationship with Eugene Peterson. If you read uh, a couple of the memoirs of Eugene Peterson, like they again and again, like there's this connection with Bono from U2. Like it's 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 crazy, but uh, it seems like Bono's Christianity was different than than Franklin Graham's Christianity because Graham kept pressing him on the unique lyrics of their songs. Like he basically said, like, "Are which one of your songs are Christian?" And Bono says, "Well, all of them are." And and it wasn't just scanning with Franklin Graham, but one of the things that uh, Bono is able to work his way in is that when uh, Franklin Graham said, well, are you born again? And Bono said it. And I think he challenged Franklin Graham. He's like, yes, you know, basically I trust Jesus, but I don't tend to use him for my own gain. Um, now Bono might've been insist, you know, insinuating that maybe Franklin Graham was, that's up for them to interpret what was going on in that conversation. But that struck a chord with me because in the 20 some odd years of being a Christian, um, it's, it's nice to hear when so-and-so becomes a Christian, but we should actually follow up with the question, like, why are you a Christian? Because um, there is a temptation to use Jesus for our own ends, right? To feel like we're on the right team, uh, to be like in some exclusive club. I mean, Jesus had some hard teachings. And so if we want to be like a bit of cantankerous, like we can embrace Christianity just to kind of like rib people for our way of life that we think is, you know, more pure and holy than theirs or whatever. But uh, Jesus is actually the, the purest form of the faith are those who are just so in touch with how they need a savior. And because of that, they, they begin to understand the different contours of the gospel of the kingdom. And so that's what I want us to do today is just to get in touch with the fact that it was on God's own behalf and because of his mercy that we're included in his family. And he does love us to the depth of who we are. And uh, the reason that we're in this family is because God made room for us. Like We didn't deserve to be here, but God's pulling out chairs around the table for those of us who are in touch with the fact that uh, without him, uh, we don't have much going for ourselves. And because of that, we have much to be joyful about and to rejoice. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you today that you called us into your family. We thank you that the gospel rang out to us and it met us in a moment when we can reckon with our own life, the way we want to take it from there and the way we want to make the most of it. And we found that the answer is with you. God, we confess at times that there's still parts of us who want uh, to steer our own direction, maybe even to use you for leverage in order to get some more stuff out of life. And so uh, please forgive us for using you instead of following you. And so as we go through the sermon over the next few weeks, and as we meditate on the words of Jesus, as you formed and shaped disciples in first century Palestine, we reckon that you are still shaping souls and disciples today. And so we choose to follow you. And we understand that we enter into that doorway of following you by understanding that we're in the arms of grace. And so may that grace carry us, may that grace strengthen us, and may that grace change us to be the people that you want us to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.